Right, g'day everyone. Good to see you all. Uh, it's been a while since I've been to Cornerstone. Thank you very much for the invitation to be with you. And uh, I want to bring greetings from Crossroads Presbyterian. We meet a couple of streets down that way, but in the afternoon. Uh, and I've been the minister there for about 15 years. Um, and because it's been so long, I've been the minister there, you're going to have to forgive me because I'll probably keep calling you Crossroads or something. Uh, and then tonight at, at Crossroads, I'll probably call them Cornerstone. You know, like it, it, it gets all a little bit blurry. Um, they sound enough alike. Um, this is a New Year's Day sermon that I've done a number of times before. Um, and, uh, and as we head into a brand new year, I think it'd be just a great, a great thing just to, um, to hear. Uh, so please, if you have um, James chapter 3 open. Uh, this is a time of the year where people are making resolutions, right? And they're forming plans and they're thinking ahead. Even in these unsettled times, people are still thinking, okay, what am I going to be about? 2022, it's happened. Right, so here's a really relevant passage, I think, for us today. Because if you look there in the opening verse that we just had read out, the question that he asks is, who is wise and understanding among you? See, the question I often think about in my head is, what will make me into a wise person? What do I need to do? That's the question I often ask. Or, um, or how? Like, how do I go about getting myself to be from here to here? How do, I, how do I become wise? But he doesn't do that. Look carefully. We're going to have to look carefully today. He says, who in your church? Who in your family? Who in our society is wise? That's what we're going to be looking for. We're going to study this passage so that we all at Cornerstone will be able to rightly recognise wisdom when we see it. So, you know, um, a person will cross your path and after a wise person will cross your path and after today's sermon, you'll be able to go, there it is. I see it. I recognise it. A so-called wise person might cross your path and you might go, hmm, I'm not sure anymore. Okay? Um, so our aim is to rightly recognise wisdom in our midst and there are three things. There are three, three ways you can recognise a wise person. They are practical, they are humble, and they are peaceful. Right? Practical, they're going to be practical, they're going to be humble, and they're going to be peaceful. That's how you recognise wisdom according to the book of James. First of all, what are they? We'll have a look at verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. So it's not what you read. It's not what you think. Right? It's not, not even just what you know. Who is wise and understanding among them? Let them show it. In other words, it's what you do that shows a wise life. It's how they behave in the midst of others that shows whether they have wisdom. Now, already in James, we've seen this concept. This, is, this, is, this fits with what James has been saying all the way through his book. Not just listening in James, but what is it? Doing in the book of James. Not just talking in the book of James, but acting in the book of James. For James, what you do shows what you believe even more than what you say. Now, I know this is a cliche, um, um, 
But anyway, it's a good one. Your actions speak louder than words in the book of James. Your actions will speak louder than words. Um, just have a quick look. If you're not sure about this, if you're like, mm, I'm not sure about this guy. All right, have a look at 122. Uh, James 1.22, so turn back a, a page in your Bible or scroll however you have to scroll on your phone. Right, 1.22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. James, it's what you do. Or have a look at 2.14. 2.14, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? And he basically goes on to say... It's no good to claim something but then do nothing. He says, demons claim stuff, but they know stuff. They don't do anything about it. People know these things. They claim these things. They say, um, go and be well fed. Go and be warm. I'm not giving you a blanket. I'm not giving you any food. People claim all sorts of things, but it's what you do in the book of James. Okay, Not what you claim, what you think, not even what you know, not just what you know. People might know lots about a topic. The demons in James, they know lots about a topic. They know all about God. They can talk all day about God. They have many opinions about God. Doesn't make them wise, does it? The demons in James. Check out James chapter 2 when you get home. Who is wise? Wisdom is revealed by what they do. Let them show it. Are you wise? Show us. Show us. Uh, also early in James, we discover that wisdom isn't something that you can get on your own. Um, and that was a wonderful kids' talk. I'm still bamboozled by the thing up and down. Too much science for me. But what did Solomon ask for? He said, Lord, I need your wisdom. Wisdom is something that comes from above. See, wisdom isn't something that you get on your own. It's not something that you work for by um, techniques, or by reading wise sayings or something. The way to wisdom is actually not in and of ourselves naturally, in and of our natural selves. Before you become wise, you actually need God to actually implant his wisdom in you. That's the book of James. So again, let's just do another quick little back, backward to 1.5. If you're not sure about this, 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. And then a little bit later in this very same chapter, James calls wisdom a word planted in you which can save you. My life is like a garden bed and God plants this word in and it will grow. And one day at the end, it will be fully grown and revealed to all that wisdom. So first of all, we actually need God to plant this in. And, and this, this actually fits with the logic of Christianity, doesn't it? The logic of Christianity, the thing that we often say from the front and we do in our kids' talks and we sing in our songs, the logic of Christianity is that it's not my deeds that save me. That's, that's what we talk about. Uh, at best, deeds show that you are saved, don't they? And, and also, they give you great joy in being able to do them. But at best, our deeds show that we are saved. But it's not our deeds that actually save us in, in, in the Christian message. Here we have this verse which, for everyone and anyone who calls out to God, God will plant his word in their life. And when he does that, they will be changed. As soon as he does that, they will be different. Their standing before God will be made new. Our standing is not, is not actually determined by ourselves and what we do in our lives. The, the status before God is not based on what we've done. It's actually based on him and what he does for us first. That's Christianity. That's the gospel. That's actually his, his way of wisdom. 
And so now then, what James is saying to the congregations, having his wise word planted in you, having his message of truth planted in you, what's James saying? Show it, do it, obey it, live it in the midst of the congregation. Live out his wise word together. Cornerstone Church, let this passage be a warning to you. It's possible to live in a way that ignores God's wisdom. That's what James is giving us a heads up over. Um, It's possible to ignore that wisdom that he's planted in you or live in a way that's contrary to it. And what does he call it there in verse 15? He says, well, people are doing that. They're earthbound in their thinking. They're thinking in an earth in a, an earthbound way. Um, earthbound, I suppose, is, co- is a code word for, um, you know, like of this sinful world. So it's possible for somebody to have God's wise word planted in me, but then I, I, I somehow ignore that and live contrary to that and live in an earthbound way. And so this is actually, this passage is, is a warning. But on the other hand, let this passage be a great encouragement to you all, to us, to me, Somebody can live in a heavenly way. And the heavenly way recognises this world that we're in, recognises the physical world, the spiritual world that we're in right now, believes in this world, believes that one day God will uh, renew, reform, or change this world in the, in the twinkle of an eye, both the physical and the spiritual. And this this... This heavenly-minded person lives with an anticipation of that. They're ready in everything they do for that to happen. Uh, They think that this word that God has planted in them is going to one day bear that fruit. They think that this word, this wise word that God has put into their lives will one day be full-grown. And so they're living with an anticipation of that. They're waiting for that day. They're yearning for that day. That would be wise, wouldn't it? That would be heavenly-minded living, wouldn't it? That would be taking into account what God is doing. All right, so here we go. Let's sort of summarise. It's not what someone's read, not what they think, not even just what they know. Lots of people know lots of stuff. In the book of James, lots of people know lots of stuff. Wisdom is revealed by what they do because wisdom is God planting his word in them and then that wise one letting that word come out in the way that they conduct themselves. Now, you will have seen, uh, I'm sure you've seen the optical illusion of the duck rabbit. You know that one? It's been around for like 100 years, and so I'm I'm sure you've seen it. And when you first look at it, well, when I first look at it, it looks like a duck. And it's kind of, it's looking up to the right, and its it's beak is kind of open. And then as you stare at it a bit longer, someone says, can you see a rabbit? I can't see a rabbit. And then all of a sudden, it becomes a rabbit. And it's, it's actually looking to the left, and it has its ears sort of slightly tucked down, you know, the, the, um, the duck rabbit. And then from then on, it's just like, oh, I can't believe, can't believe the rabbit is there all along. Now I can only see a rabbit. Now I'm, I can't see the duck anymore. And then it will start flip-flopping, um, flip-flopping in my mind. Um, apparently, back in the 1950s, scientists used this picture as an example of what they called a paradigm shift. This is where you experience a change in the way that you see something. You used to see something one way, but now you understand it in a completely different way. And that's what James is doing in this passage. He's giving us a paradigm shift. And it's almost a bit embarrassing when you see it, or when I saw it. 
I can't believe it took me that long to understand. He wants me to have a new way of looking for wisdom. Wisdom is not what people look like or the claims that they make or the vibes that they give off. To see wisdom, look at what people do. That's where you'll see it. That's where you'll recognise it. And so Cornerstone Church, I want to call on you this day and for the coming year to rightly recognise wisdom, to rightly recognise true spirituality, to know it when you see it. Um, Words and appearances count for little when compared to someone's behaviour. Words and appearances count for little, so don't worry too much about that stuff. Whether someone dresses in vegan clothes, attends retreats, read books on better living, eats vegetarian, doesn't really matter. Whether someone dresses in very plain, ordinary clothes, lives in an uneventful suburb and goes to McDonald's for tea every Friday night, doesn't really matter. Both of those people may be spiritual. Neither of them may be spiritual. Both might have God's good word planted in them. Neither of them may. Like, if God's word is planted in them, watch. It'll come out in what they do. So, um, so take care, recognise rightly, know it when you see it. Now, I know some of you, I uh, recognise some of you uh, from uh, years ago when I was at Cornerstone. Uh, but also, uh, there's a lot of people here I don't, I don't know. Um, so you're going to have to help me. Who do you have here at church who shows their wives? And how do you see it? It's in what they do. Men, women, young, old. Week in, week out, they show God's wisdom by what they do. Who do you have here who, who fits that? If you see them, recognise them. If you see them, follow them. Leaders who are here, elders, mature members, people who have been here for 10 or 15 years, people look to you as wise. Please show us your wisdom by what you do. But uh, what exactly will they show us? That's a good question. Like, okay, they've got to do it, but what exactly do they do? Well, that brings us to the second point. So, first of all, they're practical, but now I'm asking, yeah, but practical doing what? First of all, they're practical. Second point, humble. Deeds done in humility. So, that's what in particular you're looking out for. Have a look at our verse again. Verse 13. Um, Now listen, you who, uh, no, wrong chapter. Uh, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. See, they know they aren't wise in and of themselves. They know they have no understanding in and of themselves. On their own, they know they wouldn't be like this wise person. But they know that God has put something in their lives that's actually made them to be wise. They know, chapter 1, verse 5, God has given them understanding. They know this. He's planted something brand new out of, in them, out of his love for them. Their default would be like the rest of us. Their default would be verse 14. Verse 14 says, um, if you harbour bitter envy, that's, that's nasty jealousy, and selfish ambition, I want to get what I want to get, and things got to be done my way, like controlling 
They know that that's what they would be like in and of themselves if not for God's work in them. And so, so the wise person says, oh my goodness, I don't deserve this, Lord. Thank you so much. And that actually makes them humble before God and before others. There's a humility that comes from understanding this, this situation. And then there's even more humility because they know that for God to plant his word in their lives, that wasn't cheap and easy for God. That wasn't like God just popping down to the shops to get some bread or, you know, like just a, a sort of a quick, easy thing, uh, just buying something online. Um, no, not at all. They know that God's son came into the world as a good and perfect gift from above, James chapter 1. And Jesus came into the world and died for the sins of the world and especially his people. His life was the good and perfect gift from above. Because Jesus did this, the old life has been swept away in death. In Jesus' death, the old life is swept away and forgiveness is put into them or forgiveness is given to them. And then from there, the way is open for God to plant his wise word in their life, which is the message of Christ. Um, they know this situation. They understand this situation. They receive this. They accept it. It, it, it makes them humble. Makes them humble. Some great banjo there. Um, they, they, the, the wise life is practical. It's seen in what they do. But then the wise life is humble because the, the deeds that they do flow out of understanding this situation where they say, Ah, oh, Lord, if not for you, I would be, I wouldn't be like this. The wise life is practical, the wise life is humble. Do you get what I mean? And so who is wise and understanding among you, Cornerstone? Who do you see doing wise deeds? Well, let's say, doing deeds in humility, week in, week out, where it's not about themselves and what he calls the selfish ambition. It's not about that. It's not about what they know and making sure that everybody knows what they know. It's not about what they think, what they've read. But they do deeds week in, week out, based upon genuine thanks to God for planting his wise word in their life. So good when you see that. So lovely and wonderful and true and beautiful when you see that, I reckon. By the way, humility isn't necessarily like someone who's quiet and mousy uh, like, uh, or, or someone who's introverted. That's, that's not necessarily what humility is about. Someone can be very bold in their personality, you know, like bold shirts and always laughing and life of the party, but still actually be quite a very humble person because they're motivated by an understanding of God's gift to them from above, which has been planted in their life. And see, that's their motivation. And that actually makes them humble in what they do. Um, if you're not sure about that, have a look at 119. And it, it kind of gives us a bit of an insight. Chapter 1, verse 19. Where it says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteous life that God requires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. That's the humble life right there. The one who accepts, openly accepts the word planted in me which could save me uh, and, and says, if not for that, 
there's no way I would be wise. That, that's the humility that we're looking for. And so look around. Think about it. Who do you see performing deeds motivated by the knowledge of God's gift? Who do you see in your family? Who do you see in society? Who do you see in your church? Follow them, copy them. Base your life on them. They are wise. Now, here's a scary question. Who do you see doing the opposite? Because James wants us to know and be discerning about the opposite. People who are acting not in humility but attention-seeking, not in humble thanks but, as he says in verse 14, self-centred ways, not in, not in openness and listening, remember? Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Not in, not in openness and listening but with defensive walls up all the time. And as soon as you try and talk to them, walls are up, defensive. James has a lot to say about behaviour in this chapter, chapter 3. He talks about behaviour that can be boastful, proud, unapologetic and defensive. Oh, such a, such a gruesome list, isn't it? Do you see someone who is difficult, prickly, hard to talk to, and when you bring it up with them, they just double down and say, well, this is just the way I am, you're just going to have to deal with it. You're just going to have to get over it. The wise person shows their wisdom by deeds in humility, by deeds done in humility with the result of peace. By deeds done in humility with the result of peace. And that's our third point. They're practical, they're humble, and the result is they're peaceful. Have a look at verse um, 16. James 3, 16. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. So this is, this is such a... Um, this is, he's saying the, the symptoms. Where you find disorder, disorder in, um, in a congregation or disorder in society, whenever you find that, he says, you don't have to look very far to dig back to the cause. The cause will be, what is it? Selfishness, which is people wanting their own way. Or... Um, yeah, and the whole, the whole congregation, the whole family can be affected. Or um, have a look at 4 verse 1. He does another one of these in 4.1. 4.1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you can't get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. Oh, He says, when you see quarrelling and fighting, you don't have to dig very hard to get back to it. What, what's at its root cause... People wanting to get something their way and they can't get it. So they go, ah, and start quarrelling and fighting. That's not deeds done in humility. That's deeds done for self. And that, that has a yucky effect right around. That, that starts to um, spread. But thankfully, um, here's the good news. There are people in our midst who can counteract that negative stuff they are going to be like salt in a hostile environment. They are going to be like light in a dark place. James calls them peacemakers. And these people are, um, will do this wonderful work in our midst, which will be a, a blessing to themselves. It'll be a blessing to those who they come in contact with. But actually, the peacemakers' work will begin to spread even beyond them. See, uh, have a look at 17 and 18, where you see the peacemaker. It says, but wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure, 
then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, and here we go, this is the bit, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. It spreads beyond them to create peace in the congregation. The peacemaker says, hey, God made peace with me when I was hostile to him. The peacemaker says, God's planted his wise word in my life and made me wise. He met me when I was unworthy, when I was self-centred. The peacemaker said, he sent his son as a perfect gift from above. And I live with that every day. And then because they plant their life on that, the peacemaker doesn't need to fight with others to win the argument. They don't need to fight for what they want. They're not afraid to listen. They're quick to listen. They're not afraid to change their mind. They're impartial. They're sincere. They love peace more than winning. Peace more than winning. Their relationships are marked by harmony and they spread harmony around the church. The fighting, quarrelling, gossiping, well, that does the opposite. That spreads disorder in a family, or disorder in church. And the humility of the peacemaker results in a harvest of righteousness. You want to see wisdom? Who is wise and understanding among you? There it is right there. That's it, according to James. Now, one of my friends used to work in a hospital ward for people who had an acquired brain injury. So these are people who had received a severe blow to the front of the head in a car accident or while they're operating some kind of machine. And this is the area of the brain that governs social behaviour. So it gives us insight into how we're coming across to others. It enables us to rein back on strong emotions, stuff like that. And because the people in this hospital ward had an injury in this area, they couldn't do that stuff very well. So it would create all sorts of craziness. Um, all sorts of stuff would be going on all the time. They would, apparently, they would punch each other um, they would expose themselves to each other. They would say outrageous things to one another all the time, but have a very limited understanding in how they were coming across to other people. They just didn't seem to get what it, that you just can't punch people, um, that, that kind of thing. Um, and, uh, and she said, well, um, from what, what, I've, you know, what she's talked about, um, it was like working in a BBC black comedy TV program. You know, it was like Faulty Towers or something like that, just because of all the stuff that would go on all the time. This is an extreme case, but we need to remember that we're kind of on the same continuum as these patients. Obviously, that's an extreme case. They're way down the other end, but in some small way, we know, like we all have trouble understanding how we're coming across to others. Sometimes we just don't pick the cues. Uh, we have trouble reigning in strong emotions, especially when it's a hot topic. Uh, I learn really important lessons and I say, thank you, God, for teaching me that important lesson. And then within days, sometimes hours, my goldfish brain has already forgotten what that important lesson was. Like, this is the most important thing I've ever learned. Oh, my goodness, thank you, Lord. And then I've just forgotten it a couple of days later. What was that again? Um, we're not very good at listening. We're not very good at paying attention. We're certainly not good at asking questions, or I'm not. People will criticise someone without stopping to examine their own life, not realising that, ironically, they're doing exactly the same thing that they're criticising the other person for. You know, this is... Thankfully, in our midst, God has given us these wonderful peacemakers 
These are people who have deeply understood the gift of God from above. And because of this, they're humble. They do listen better than the average person. They're caring, they're sincere. And not only do they have peaceful relationships themselves, but their harmonious relationships spread as others follow their lead and as their work is able to happen in the congregation. Cornerstone, take note of such people. Recognise them. Allow these people influence. Put them into leadership, uh, if they're not already, and let them have a harvest. And think about the gift of God for your own life. Because so far in this sermon, I've been talking about them. They? Who is wise and understanding? Let them, them show it. I've been talking about the them. They are practical. They are humble. They are peaceful. But at some point in the sermon, we've got to actually turn it back onto ourselves, don't we? And say, well, am I one of them? Is, 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 this, is this who I am? And we have to think about the gift of God for our own lives and how his wisdom from above has been put in you, the knowledge of Christ. Perhaps you're in a situation where you're in dispute or conflict with someone right now, a relationship breakdown. You're heading into a new year in, with a relationship breakdown. Let the gift of God be your motivation. You know, it's the reason why you do what you do. Your motivation. Let the gift of God be your motivator. Let the gift of God be your treasure. Christ. The wise word, the message of Christ. Let that be your treasure. In other words, you value it above everything, even being right. Let the gift of God be your motivation. Let it be your treasure. Let it be your goal. That that's the thing that you are hoping for your life and the lives of others with you. Your goal in the world. Let the gift of God be your motivation, your treasure, your goal. Let the gift of God be your guide. If you are in the middle of conflict right now, humbly accept the word of God planted in you. Humbly accept that if not for his wisdom, you wouldn't be wise. Humbly accept that and turn toward the people you're in conflict with in that spirit of humility. Well, 2022, here it is, it's upon us, started already. I don't know if I'm ready for it to start yet. I think I need a couple of weeks before it starts. But anyway, it's happening, got no choice. Uh, let us all live for God this year. Let us live for God with humble, peaceful relationships with one another. Uh, let me pray and then we'll take the Lord's Supper. Lord God, we need your wisdom on our own, by ourselves, we wouldn't be able to be like this at all. We pray that you would plant your wisdom in us and then knowing that, we ask that we'd be humble in, in all that we do and may the result be peace in our lives, in our families, in our church and in society. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.